It's time for episode 23 of the Clockwise Podcast from the editors of TechHive, PC World, and Macworld, recorded February 5th, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that's right twice a day. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined, as always, by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dan. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. I feel like it's been a while. Uh, I think it's been a week. <laughs> that, it seems like forever. <laughs> but that's okay. That's right. Time. It's very sad when we're apart, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, it seems it makes the time go yep. oh so slowly. We have, as always, some guests with us today. Um, to my left is Macworld editor Dan Miller. Hi, Dan. Hi, guys. You are one of three Dans at Macworld. <laughs> yes. But only two on this podcast today. But only two on this podcast. But we're both Dan M's, which is, makes it even more confusing. Even more confusing. This tyranny of Dans continues. Um, sitting uh, to my left is Tech Hive senior editor Susie Oaks. Welcome back, Susie. Hey, guys. What's up? Thank you for having me. Thanks for being back on. She is the only Susie on our staff. Yep. Score. Just, just the A one. A distinction. We only need one. Susie in chief. You have, you have <laughs> filled that void. Thank you. We appreciate it. No problem. Well, so, yeah, Jason, you want to tell people how, at home, if they have not been following along, you know, raptly, which I imagine they all have, what Clockwise is all about? Why, sure, Dan. Uh, Clockwise is meant to be a short podcast, under half an hour. Every one of us brings one topic to discuss. We talk about it for about five minutes. And uh, then at the end, I will unveil a secret bonus question that has very little to do with technology. And uh, that's pretty much how it works, Dan. You want to go first? I would love to go first. I thought you'd never ask. Uh, so my question today, and this is kind of a general question, I realize, but it was spawned by a particular event, which is that the solid state drive in my MacBook Air just started flaking out like crazy. And it took me a couple trips to the Genius Bar to get them to even diagnose what the problem was. And so I'm wondering if there, I don't, I can't quite tell if it's just a perspective thing in feeling like things break more. Um, I wonder if it's also just a part of that is the, where we live very much in a replacement society where nowadays it's often cheaper to replace something like a technological device when it breaks rather than just simply, you know, fix whatever's wrong with it. Um, so I'm curious if you guys think like reliability has gone down the drain, you know, is the old adage that they don't make them like they used to true or is it just that we use more technological devices and thus see things breaking down more often? Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts. Dan, what do you think? Well, I, I actually feel like things are – I think things are pretty darn reliable. I don't know if it's just the stuff I buy, but, you know, I was trying to think of the like the iMac at home that I've had for many, many years and my MacBook Pro that I've had for many, many years. Uh, I You know, not to be too big a shill, but, I mean, everything I've got from Apple has been uh, surprisingly long-lived, um, which has not been my experience in the long term with technology. But But all that stuff is – in fact, I think sometimes I feel like it lasts too long. <laughs> I would like it to break down so I could get something new. Gee, Dan, um, it looks like someone put a crowbar through your screen. Uh, how'd that happen? <laughs> I don't think that's covered under your warranty, Ragedy. the crowbar that's sticking out of the screen there. Uh, so, no, I, I don't feel things are less reliable than they used to be. I will say one thing just anecdotally. My favorite piece of consumer technology, uh, which I may have mentioned before, is my Tivoli Pal radio, which mm. has now lasted, I think it's about 
12 years. Yeah. And the only thing I've ever had to replace is the battery. Maybe not 12, but I mean, it's been a really long time. I can't decide if there's a piece of technology I own that's older than 12 years that I still use. I, I, again, I may be exaggerating. I have, it's, it's, it's impressive, it's, though. It's like, it feels like it's as old as my children. The Tivoli so Pal is about, mine is about uh, four feet away from me right now. And yes, other than replacing the battery, it still functions. It it's maddening. It's so keeps working. I know. Granted, radio hasn't changed much in the last yeah. 20 years, so, you well, know. <laughs> I have the iPal, though. I mean, it's, the whole idea was you plug an iPod into it back when yeah. it was really an iPod, and it's still around. The iPod is fading away, but it's it's still around. Um, I was going to say about um, reliability. I, you know, I feel like when we're on the cutting edge of technology, the reliability is a problem, but then as things get boring and settle in, then it isn't. So like Dan said, I mean, I've got – I've got an old Mac Mini and an old iMac that I really was expecting to just send to the cornfield when I was done, and instead my kids play Minecraft on them. And, you know, so video game, not a super intense video game, but still, they're using those things, these old systems for gaming that I, I had expected to be on a shelf and then off to the recycling center. And, uh, you know, they, they have survived uh, admirably in all that time. I think more cutting-edge stuff like... You know, uh, iPhones and iPads, I, I don't know, I've actually find those fairly fairly reliable, and when they are weird, they tend to get replaced on warranty, and uh, it's Apple's problem and not mine, which I'm, I'm pretty happy about. Um, so, I don't know, I remember, I mean, software, I think, is, is often, I don't know if it's more reliable, but it recovers more gracefully. I remember back in the day of, like, OS 8 on the Mac, that it would just crash all the time, and I had a menu bar clock crash last night at the office i tweeted about this and i thought it, i literally thought it was 4 46 p.m for about 90 minutes it shows you how intelligent i am as a human being um, just do whatever the computer tells you to uh, yeah it's 4 46 i guess it's still 4 46 it's awfully dark um but I, what i was remembering is that 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 used to happen to me all the time not not that i would sit there for 90 minutes but because i was too smart back then about how os8 was just totally unreliable and it would crash and i'd lose everything and now even when software cra- crashes it's all got protected memory and you you know, it, it, you don't lose anything usually, and uh, so on the software side, I feel like it, it recovers more gracefully, and I'm more likely to forgive it. So I feel like generally I'm a lot less frustrated by um, my tech than I used to be. But um, you know, it, uh, sure, the higher tech it is, the the more likely it is to fail. Um, I I don't know if the tech is less reliable, but we're so much more reliant on it working all the time. So, I mean, if you remember back when we there were payphones everywhere and you had all your friends' ad, phone numbers memorized and it wasn't a big deal. And now, you know, if you, we all have our own phones. That's great. But when they die, you're pretty helpless. Um, back in the day, Dan probably would have just cracked open his computer and thrown in a new hard drive. But, excuse me, with uh, something like the MacBook Air... That's a lot less possible. Things are less fixable. So I think that the things are lasting really long, but we're just so helpless without them that it feels like they go down more because when they do, it's a lot more traumatic. You can't just not use your computer for a couple days because it's broken. Like it has to work. If I lost access to my, you know, my phone book, I could basically call my parents, my (laughs) best friend and the Thai takeout place like around the corner, <laughs> yeah. which might be enough to get me through. I don't know. But yeah, it is. We have become very dependent on that. You're right. You could leave a sheet of phone numbers with your Thai takeout place and just call them and ask that them. That is like, a great how do I call idea. work and tell them that. They're pretty yeah. friendly. So yeah. that, that was actually a good idea. You know, it's interesting because I have, you know, I was thinking, Jason, as you were mentioning your old Mac sitting around, I was like, oh, I've got this Power Mac G3 blue and white sitting in my office. I was like, I could probably plug that in and start it up, and it would probably still run fine. Um, I, I, you know, for me, I, I wonder if some of it is the the miniaturization 
uh, part of it, whereas like as your components get more and more precise and smaller, um, there's less tolerance in some way for failure because if something messes up, right, like there's no easy way necessarily to fix. Like, for example, on the on the air, even it is possible actually to swap out the SSD, which I'm planning to do. Um, but an SSD itself is pretty much unfixable um, because, you know, if the chips go bad, they go bad, right? And the same thing with, with phones. I think because the, they're engineered to such precise tolerances that there is less, to, you know, if something goes wrong, it goes really wrong. And that's why Apple replaces it rather than seeing if they can, like, take it apart and put pieces into that. They want to do that at their leisure rather than trying to turn around a phone to you right away. So I, I don't know. I, I think the, the danger is, as you were suggesting it, as we push the envelope, these things that haven't been as explored for as long period, like a hard drive, we all know you know, what, what not to do with a hard drive or when a hard drive is going to break or what sounds hard drives make when they're breaking. We're all experienced with that. But some of these newer technologies, we haven't quite had as much experience with them to figure out when things are going to go wrong or how they'll go wrong. So thank you all for your opinions. Dan Miller, do you have a topic for us today? Yeah, it's, it's a little old, but I, I was uh, fascinated a couple of weeks ago. There was an interview that Walter Isaacson gave with CNBC in which he said that he thought that Google was now the most innovative company in technology, not Apple anymore. And the example that he gave of that was the acquisition of the Nest thermostat and smart home appliance company. And his point was, well, you know, now they're expanding into the home and they're going to know all about what we do and uh, at home and that's going to make them a better company somehow. And so I, I just – I've been thinking about it and kind of noodling on it and, and I just wondered what you guys thought as far as who is the more innovative company these days. Is it Google? Is it Apple? Is it somebody else? See, I think it, de- it depends entirely on how you define – uh, innovative because I, Google tries. Google innovates. It seems a lot of it in public. It's trying lots of crazy stuff. It's throwing things against the wall, and you do find Google doing interesting, innovative things. That, you know, self-driving cars pretty innovative, and th- there's other stuff that they're doing with with uh, robots and things like that that may be diabolical schemes to destroy us all, but they're innovative, and. Um, and yet in other ways, you know, their their business is powered by kind of um, boring advertising text ads, which were innovative in their time too. Apple, uh, you know, but but Android, you know, although it advances the ball in some ways, in, in many other ways is also playing a back and forth game with Apple. Apple uh, really innovates on the hardware side in terms of uh, the phones and on uh, the Mac and does a lot of innovation on the software side. Um, and I, I assume that it's doing lots of crazy things in private. But uh, a couple things, you know, Apple's charter doesn't seem to be as broad as Google's. Google literally just will do anything at all that involves technology in the world. And Apple doesn't seem to be quite that ambitious. Apple is a small company. They don't hire a huge number of people and they don't have a huge number of projects. Um, So I'd say what Apple does is very innovative. And I think where they compete, Apple is more innovative than Google. But Google's innovating in lots of other areas too. And it doesn't in public, whereas Apple does a lot of stuff behind the scenes um, and doesn't want, unless it's finished and ready to sell, um, Apple's not going to come out with it, where Google will be like, Google Glass, sure, let's try that. It's it's more than a thousand bucks and nobody's going to buy it, but we're just going to do it out out in public anyway. So I think they're just differently innovative. I do think they're both truly innovative companies. I just think they do it in different ways. Yeah, I was going to say pretty much the same thing, but I can uh, expand on it a little. I think, yeah, Apple wouldn't let us see their self-driving car until it was done. 
And Google kind of <laughs> has to be a little more showy about these things because otherwise, I mean, their everyday products are we take your data and then sell you ads, you know, use that to sell, you know, show you ads. And that it, that doesn't really seem that techy, and it would just they they seem a lot more innovative and techy because they're doing these things in public. Apple's everyday products are you know computers and phones and software, and that's all just pretty normal stuff. I think Apple's probably doing a lot behind the scenes that we don't know about. I mean, maybe Walter would have a better idea of what they're doing behind the scenes than we do because he used to have um, some access, but. Um, yeah, Google's just a lot more show-offy about their stuff because it makes them seem like this really huge cutting-edge company when really they're just a data company that sells a lot of ads. I mean, and on the innovative side, again, to Jason's point about defining it, uh, I mean, what Google did here was buy another company that yes, was doing uh, innovative things, right? Absolutely, like, they bought the innovative company. Yes. I, I guess buying things is an, is an innovation. I mean, they and they've bought certainly other companies recently doing that, and they do some stuff in-house, like, you know, they got Google Glass out there, but it's not, it's still not a product, right? And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, as everybody has said, the the sort of key point here is what what you see, and I think that if you're just looking at Google and like, oh, yeah, they're just turning out one crazy thing after another, then you you might be convinced that they are innovating nonstop. But it's not like Apple's sitting around, you know, <laughs> in Cupertino going like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should like do a new computer or something. You think? Maybe another phone? Should we do another phone? Let's do another phone. You know, like they're not they're not sitting on their hands, right? So I don't know. I think it's a it's a silly comparison. It doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't really get you anywhere. And how do you judge who is more innovative, right? It's not like an easily easily quantifiable figure that you can just stack them up against each other. So I, I am a little skeptical of Mr. Isaacson's cl- uh, claims, especially because he's not particularly a technology person. Really, he's a he's a historian and a biographer, right? Like so. I, I don't know. It, I it, randomly somewhat important guy says Google more innovative. Eh, <laughs> I'm not impressed. Well, I think he's he's got the the profile out there because of the Jobs biography. So now everybody thinks he's Mr. Apple expert. Um, I, I guess uh, you know after I read this, I, I started looking at it. It happened to be around the same time that the Apple and Google were releasing their earnings reports. So I started looking at some of the numbers that they put out there. And and I found you know a couple of interesting things. I thought one was that if you look at the if, you know again acquisitions are not necessarily on innovation, but if you do look at the acquisitions Google's made over the last uh, in 2013, uh, half of them had to do with robotics, whereas if you look at the acquisitions Apple made in the same period of time, half of them had to do with maps. And it's it, it speaks to what, what you all said, which is that you know Apple has to create real products that real people are going to buy, whereas Google just has to sell more and better eyeballs. So, you know, Apple is going to innovate, but it's going to innovate in terms of products that it can sell, whereas Google, I mean, what Google reminds me of, it's sort of like Xerox Park back in the 60s or, or Bell Labs in the, uh, earlier. It's, it's almost like got this pure research arm, Google X, which is just doing kind of whatever the heck they want to do to advance technology generally, uh, not necessarily anything that's going to accrue to the bottom line at any in any realistic time period, but but they can just kind of do whatever they want, and that seems to be what they're doing. Dan, did you just say that Google is innovating uh, better eyeballs? I hadn't. I missed that. Pro- I missed that project. Google eyes. It's, it's a new and improved eyeball. <laughs> Google eyeball. Oh my they've, god, <laughs> it's horrifying. They've got the best eyeballs on the market. Yeah, clearly, clearly. 
Okay, my turn. I wanted to jump off of something that uh, was said actually in the after show portion. It was the best part of the show, but they put it after the theme song of the Accidental Tech Podcast, which is John Syracuse, Marco Arment, and Casey Liss. If you don't know, you can go to atp.fm. It was in the after show of episode 50, and they were talking. It was a really interesting thought experiment, which is what stuff do we take for granted today that will be laughed at by our children as uh, completely obsolete and ridiculous, and I can't believe you guys guys did that with your technology like you know a rotary phone or something like that and they had a bunch of interesting ideas and yeah a lot of them are things will be lighter things will be thinner um but what what interested me about their conversation was um you know you can explore what you know what we take for granted and 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 think you can either think in basic terms about things are going to get better in this way or you can think in kind of wild terms about something we completely accept as true now that is going to be totally different in the future but i i wanted you know if you guys have something that you you that occurred to you about uh an item we take for granted today that um they're just gonna we're all gonna look back and shake our heads and laugh about it in 20 years uh Susie, what do you think um i think well one kind of mundane thing i think that the days of paying for internet for each of your devices is going to be looked at like when we had dial up and we paid per minute um, it's, it's just kind of silly to me and I think it's going to go away sooner than later. But even beyond that for the, like a bigger thing, I think like having a huge screen TV in your house is not going to be around forever. I think, um, the, it, it'll be like projected or some kind of hologram. I don't know. Like, but I just think that having this hulking thing, like, I mean, the first TVs were like furniture. They were so big and, uh, and then they got smaller now they're bigger again, but they kind of dominate the room even when they're off. And I think those are going away. I don't think those will be around forever. I will be impressed if anybody knows what a dial tone is in another 20 years. Um, <laughs> it's already headed I, out. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, I mean, there are a number of things I can think of that we do now that it's it's kind of like our frustration points that I think people will look back on and go like, yeah, that was dumb. Particularly, I'm thinking of something like fax machines. <laughs> like, what? why? 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 Why do you need a fax machine? Um, you know, the the same idea sort of being like, and and I, I think this will speak very much to my colleagues here. But if you've ever had to, say, print out an expense report and sign it and send it in the mail instead of using, say, a digital signature, which is indistinguishable in every way from your own signature. Um, I already think that's stupid. So I imagine that my children will also think that is stupid. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think there are a lot of things that are, um, you know, paying for like to Susie's point, paying for like phone calls, you know, voice service being distinct from conversations that you have over like a VoIP service type thing or that, you know, voice and data were separate ideas. Um, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's moving very quickly, especially in the mobile industry, that when you, you know, look forward 20 years from now, um, things will be very different. I mean, you know, I just sometimes I think about if you were a time traveler and you went back in, you know, 20 years and we're like, oh, I'm going to take a picture of you with my phone and people would look at you like you're a really crazy person because <laughs> how, how does a phone take tele- take pictures? I don't know. Um, my picks, actually, I just off the top of my head, my, the first thing I thought about was uh, Facebook. Uh, I think Facebook. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be around. Um, and the second one was because I've been out, uh, actually been out looking at cars lately and i think i think rear view mirrors are going to be obsolete very soon oh. we're just going to have a heads-up display it's all cameras yeah it's all cameras wow you know the ones i thought of are things like i mean i, I think battery life 
it's going to be a thing that goes away and thing, the battery life is going to be long enough and there'll be uh, charging will be in inductive or you know something like that where you're just not going to worry about batteries in devices. The devices will charge when they can and they'll last so long that unless you're going backpacking out in the wilderness – um, you're not going to have to worry about it. And I really liked somebody, I think John Syracuse on the, on the um, ATP mentioned um, the, the um, idea that if you drop your phone, it might break, which I think is a great one. That the idea that, we're, that you know, in 20 years time, this technology that's so fragile today, the, what, the, what he said was when you drop your car keys on the ground, you don't go <gasps> and be worried that they're going to shatter. But we do that for our phones and things. And I, I, thought, I thought that was a really interesting one too. But you know, battery is the one that I keep coming back to and thinking I just don't think it's going to be relevant. I also think maybe you know, my computer – you know, as something that is a place where stuff is stored is rapidly vanishing. The idea that there's stuff on your computer that isn't somewhere else, I think it's just going to go away. That we'll still have physical devices that we want to use in order to get work done, but the idea that that data only resides on them is just going to stop and it's just not going to be a thing anymore. So, you know, Dan, to Dan's point about the rearview mirror, I already know plenty of people who drive around like they don't have one. So, you know, <laughs> we have a backup camera. It would not be that, that far off. I think the car, I mean, if we go down the car path, I think there are all sorts of things in our cars that are going to be radically different in 20 years, but that's another topic for another show. Susie, um, Dan Miller says Facebook is going away. I believe you wanted to talk about while it's still here, talk about what yeah. Facebook is doing today. Well, Facebook just turned 10 yesterday, and I think on Monday they put out the um, their new app, Facebook Paper, and it's iOS only. I know you guys are all iPhone guys, so I was wondering if you'd played with it. What have you thought of it? Um, I think that I'm just going to use that from now on and not use the Facebook app anymore, but it's kind of a double-edged sword because I've already found myself using it for much longer stretches than I would if I was just looking at Facebook. So anyway, have you guys played with Paper? What do you think? Or you know, what do you think about the long-term viability of Facebook? You know, I, I haven't really played with it because I'm not a regular Facebook user. Um, mm-hmm. I do have a Facebook account, but I just I don't go on very much. Um, and so, you know, having sort of looked at it and seen the news stories are written about it, it seems like this, you know, it's not quite like Flipboard and not quite Twitter. You know, it, there's a, a sort of interesting um, take on it. It does seem like this might be something that I would be more interested in using than Facebook as it has been so far. But I don't think it's something that's going to compel me to use Facebook when I haven't used Facebook for a while. Um, so, yeah, I think Facebook is trying to figure out, you know, hey, we're 10, we're, you know, fairly mature for a technology company now. It's, you know, when you said they've been around for 10 years, I was just sort of like, oh, geez, wow, how's Friendster doing? Um, and, yeah, yeah I, I don't, I think they're trying to figure out, well, how do we stay relevant in a world where, like Jason's saying, people are moving away from, say, desktop computers? How do we stay with you all the time and give you a compelling experience on the phone or the tablet? So I, I think it's interesting, and I'm glad to see they're trying to do uh, you know, more innovative stuff to our earlier conversation, but eh, not particularly for me. Well, I actually really like it. I think it's a great app. I was, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. I, I wasn't sure they had it in them to, to create a new app like that that, that – uh, I would like to use, but it is. It's 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 nicely polished and it's useful. Um, you know, it goes along with the fact that they're now surfacing trending topics on on their website on, on the web interface, which I've also really liked. So if you know there's some story that everybody's talking about, you can click on a little link up there in the upper right and see not only what your friends have been saying about it, but what other people have been saying about it too. So it's kind of a cool little uh, cool little new feature that that and and this app is really just that feature writ large. 
Um, I don't think it's going to replace you know, Reader and RSS for me as far as being my go-to source of news. But as Susie said, I think I definitely could see replacing the regular Facebook app with it. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. I I, um, I think it's got its flaws, but it's a 1.0 app. I think that the – I'm not entirely sold on the interface. It's beautiful, but um, the text is a little bit small down at the bottom, and you've got this kind of – I feel like I can't really like flip through it just to read it. So I have to flip it up and then I'm just paging through a card after a card. I, I feel like the, inter- the interface could use a little work. I think it actually would be great on the iPad, but it's not on the iPad, nor is it on Android right now, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it's a better look into Facebook. And I really like the idea of, uh, you know, RSS. Everybody's been trying to do something that's like RSS for regular people for ages and it's never happened. It's never worked right. And I, and I feel like this is a, one of those cases where we might, uh, somebody else is giving it a try. Facebook saying, well, what if we, uh, put different news sources in there and, and, and use the kind of back end of, of, of Facebook's posting engine to do that. Uh, and I think that's an interesting idea. It doesn't feel very customized. One of the things I like is links shared by my friends on Facebook or on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think paper lets you see sort of like here's what your friends think you should see, which would be nice. So they got a lot of work to do. But, um, you know, I like that they're doing it. And it is a very nice app to the, to the point that it does, I think, call into question whether there's a core Facebook app at all in the future or whether this is really it, um, which is exciting. And it's nice to see them innovate. They bought uh, a company that uh, Pushpot Press and uh, a lot of those designers were behind this app. And it shows because they, they let them build a really interesting app with its own point of view without being crushed by the expectations of being the be all end all of Facebook. And um, so even though I've got complaints about it, I, I really like that they did it. And I like the direction they're going in. Cool. Yeah, me too. I agreed with what you said about how it's interesting that it's not on Android because I, you know, after Android Home and the the Facebook phone, I kind of consider Android a face, uh, Facebook and Android first company. So, but it's probably just that they had that development team. Um, but I think it would look really good on one of those big Android phones because yeah. the like what you said about the text. Is <laughs> it could use some more space. So true. Yeah, it's a little crammed. All right, Dan. Uh, we've done four topics. Uh, let's let's. Uh Let's really quickly, because we're going to run out of time, do the bonus question. You okay with that? I'm totally okay with that. Why don't you tell us what it is? All right. The Super Bowl happened, and it wasn't a very good game, but um, that's fine. The football, I like football, but it's over. And I love baseball, but that's not going to start for a couple months. So um, not a big hockey or basketball fan. It got me thinking this in this little interregnum uh, here. Uh, I'm, I've got Olympic curling, I guess, to keep me warm. I love curling. And uh, English Premier League soccer is not bad. I, I like that. I can follow... Uh, follow uh, Arsenal and all the other teams uh, on the EPL pretty easily in the U.S. now. I was wondering if you guys have any non-standard sports, not in the big four, that you like to follow, whether it's now or, or any time of year. Um, Susie, what do you have? Well, I join your appreciation for soccer, but I don't really follow the league. I do like watching the games for the singing, the British accents, <laughs> and the lack of commercials. And other than that, I don't really like any weird sports until they bring back American Gladiators. My wife and I went to um, to uh, Arsenal Stadium, and uh, uh, we were in England a couple years ago, and it was great. And the, the best part about it was we were just surrounded by singing fans. It was the hilarious, is amazing. Yeah, we went to Craven Cottage where Fulham plays, and it's tiny, yeah. and it was just singing all the time. That's Love cr- it. so great. Dan Morin. 
Well, I, I play Ultimate Frisbee, I guess, which some people would I consider. I knew you were going to mention Ultimate Frisbee. Yeah. Some people, I guess, would consider it weird, but it's actually, you know, pretty, it's pretty common, especially there's a big community in, in Boston here. And uh, besides, I don't really like watching Ultimate Frisbee, weirdly enough, sometimes, but I much prefer playing it. Um, but I do end up watching a lot of roller derby, too, based on uh-huh. <laughs> my proximity to other people. Fair enough. Dan Miller? Uh, I have a friend who uh, does a lot of business in Asia, and he was in Australia. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, some people there took him to an Australian rules football game, mm. and he came back raving about it. He said this is like one of the greatest sports he's ever seen. He's a big sports fan. So I am really dying to see an Australian rules football game sometime. Oh, they, that, that used to be half of what was on ESPN back in the day, but not anymore. Uh, and I suppose the new CEO of Microsoft, who we didn't even talk about, Satya Nadella, he's a big cricket fan. Um, Another sport that is odd in U.S. terms, anyway, in a so U.S. Confusing. context. It is, and it takes a very long time. Uh, but I already mentioned mine. Uh, curling, I legitimately love watching curling. It's like chess – uh, with uh, with uh, except you have to use great chess physical ice. you have to use great physical skill to move the pieces and imagine if a great chess player was like oh I didn't mean to go there I had a little uh, twitch <laughs> in my hand and I moved the piece in the wrong place that's sort of what curling is and like I also said, if you want weird sports I highly encourage you to go look up the Wikipedia entry for chess boxing okay thanks good tip Dan. And we're out of time, I believe. That is the end of our allotted uh, short amount of time. We've been carefully watching the clock, and that is literally all the time we have. Susie Oaks, thank you so much for coming back on Clockwise. Yeah, thanks. It was fun. And Dan Miller, thank you for coming back to Clockwise as well. Thank you. Anytime. And until next time, dear listener from all of us here at Clockwise, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Ciao. Ciao.